everybody. I'm Nathaniel. And I'm Liz. And you are listening to the Tough Like a Girl podcast, where we take a look at graphic novels and trade paper paper bags. I can speak (laughs) with female protagonists. And this time we kind of have a triple whammy female protagonist, female writer, and artist. And we are taking a look at Persepolis, the story of a childhood by Mar James Satrapi. So this is one that has been on the to-do list pretty much since we started. Mm-hmm. And um, this, we also came at this from slightly different perspectives because I came at this having already seen the film mm-hmm. uh, adaptation, and which I actually own. And you haven't seen that. You actually still haven't seen that at that time of recording. The, the film adaptation. Yeah. Now I haven't rewatched it lately, so I'm. I'll be bringing that up, and but I am working slightly off memory. So anyone who has seen it more recently, forgive me for if I get some things wrong. But what this is is the story of a, a young girl growing up in Iran at the point at which the Shah was overthrown and the uh, Islamic regime mm-hmm. came into power. Yep. Yeah. And how that impacted her life and her perceptions and her family. Mm-hmm. So why don't you start? Broad thoughts on, on this. It was heavy. It was really... <laughs> yeah, it was a bit. a lot to take in. Um it was not pleasure reading, I'll put it that way. Um, I didn't hate it or anything. Um, the illustrations, I think, were probably the biggest issue I had in that they were black and white and pretty simplistic. Um, so, But that's actually a lot of the more historic graphic novels I know are in black and white. Um, so... Yeah. And this, I mean, I'll probably bring it up a few times. That's that's one of the areas where I feel like the film really benefited because it it adopted uh, Satrapi's very simplistic art style. But what that meant that they could do in the film was have incredibly fluid animation, mm-hmm. which actually did a lot. Because, yes, the images were simplistic, but they moved a lot more fluidly than you would have expected, basically, from... Any anim- any an- animation studio that wasn't Disney. That's cool. Yeah, so I do want to see the film. Um, as a protagonist, she works really well. She's very spirited um, and feisty and, you know, stubborn. Um, honestly, I think I would have liked if the book was more about her. Um, because even though I didn't really know all this history and I found some of it interesting, I wanted to know more about her everyday life and like school and her friends and things like that. A lot of it was about her family history, about the history of what was going on. There there were a lot of little mini info dumps like... Mm-hmm. Only lasting a page or so, so it wasn't like they ate up I massive... Sw- they lasted longer, but yeah. But, I mean, they, it's not like it had extended info dump chapters, but they would happen like... 
she the the book would be telling about you know her being at a party that her parents held but then it would diverge for a page or two giving the backstory of the relative who she interacted with mm-hmm. or um you know her family watches something on the news and then we diverge for a couple of pages to give the background information on what was actually going on mm-hmm. and i do think that's helpful especially speaking as someone who doesn't know the history. Mm-hmm. But I would agree, it does... The book does kind of split its time between portraying the life of living in this time and these places and being a historical educational document. Mm. And I I kind of wish... I'm with you. I kind of wish it had lent more towards the former. And my memory of the film... Mm-hmm. Was that it? It did that more and felt a bit less info dump. Ah, yeah. Again, that's my memory, and it's been a while. But at the very least, what stuck with me about the film mm-hmm. was her and her personality, and that is here. I think one thing she does very well mm-hmm. is she does a very good job of. I mean, because obviously she wrote this as an adult, so mm-hmm. she does a very good job of remembering. And then conveying the thought processes mm-hmm. of a child. Yeah. She's very good at, at capturing the way that kids have a tendency to just kind of regurgitate what they've heard. Or mm-hmm. not be, because they don't understand full nuance, not be able to uh, understand the contradictions. Mm-hmm. And it she does a, she does a good job of... of conveying that mindset in on in a very authentic way because oftentimes when you get i mean it's it's her own life so that probably helps but oftentimes when you get adults writing for kids Mm -hmm. they you very much get the sense of you don't remember what it's like to be a kid at all do you no (laughs) she does do that well i i love the part where she wants to be a prophet when she was young because i had (laughs) um a friend in high school a female friend who was like i'm gonna be pope and i'm like Okay, she's like, I'm going to take Latin, you know, and I'm, I'm going to go to Rome and I'm going to be the Pope. So that reminded me a lot of that friend. Um, so there was that. I also love her describing her acts of rebellion. Like, she's such a cute young punk, you know, like with her, like, Iron Maiden CDs and her jean jacket and like her smuggled in posters. So that was really endearing, too. She is a, a very endearing protagonist. Um, and without making a direct connection, I think the, the book sets up a good job that this is very much how her parents raised her, even though they didn't necessarily mean to, because her parents were revolutionaries. They went to demonstrations and protests, and they took her. And uh-huh. then when she starts getting older, oh, look at that. She rebels. Shock of shocks. I mean, well, yeah, given... Her family history that she's the great granddaughter of a Shah and everything, and you know, is just pretty fascinating. Um, the family history part and her connection to her uncle Anoush, um, who was a revolutionary, um, that's pretty heartbreaking, but yeah, yeah, it's it's. There's There are some good family pieces. I like her connection to her grandmother as well. 
the the stuff towards the very end where she talks about spending the night with her grandmother mm-hmm. you know before leaving the the country mm-hmm. that was that was very heartfelt mm-hmm. um and just some of the stuff that like their friends went through like the bombings and things and going by her friend's apartment and being hoping that she wasn't there but then you know, realizing she was and seeing the bracelet, that's pretty, it was pretty tragic. So she did capture certain moments really well. Yeah. I think it it's, and this isn't necessarily a criticism because obviously this is autobiographical and the extent to which you want to stay true to what actually happened Mm-hmm. maybe makes this impossible mm-hmm. but from a nar- from a narrative flow perspective mm-hmm. there are too many other kids or relatives who get mentioned That's briefly true. and never turn up again so if if this wasn't a true story mm-hmm. you were structuring it as a fictional narrative you'd consolidate a bunch of those mm-hmm. so that so that they would become recurring characters as opposed to someone who we see briefly get a little backstory on and then never see again mm-hmm. but again i'm not actually saying that she should have done that given that this is her life and these are real people mm-hmm. but that does sort of lend it a little bit of a disjointed flow when read as a narrative because even though it is autobiographical it is still presented in narrative form so i think that's part of how the the pace can sometimes be a little juddering a lot of the things that you would do to smooth it out Mm. you kind of can't if you're gonna keep true to her history yeah that makes sense um the other thing i wanted to say was um i got my copy from a seventh and eighth grade classroom and i would not recommend it for anyone younger than that it was a Mm. lot more violent and sexual than i first expected um so like there's some scenes of torture um there's some mentions of rape um you know there's executions like yeah, yeah, it is heavy stuff. I might not even say for a lot of like seventh and eighth graders, I would hold off till high school. So it's fairly unflinching. I suppose the one caveat I would say is that content is pretty harsh, mm-hmm. but visualization is not because of the art style. So that's and true. Not that I'm saying that that suddenly makes it age appropriate for a younger, but. I do think it is worth pointing out that yes, there are there are depictions of torture and there is talk of rape and there are mm-hmm. mo- there is, there is yeah, bombing and what it but but there's rape. nothing visually graphic. There is a penis at one point. There is a penis once, <laughs> at least once. Yeah, I think um, yeah. But it's because of how simplistic the art style. It's not it's not as visceral. Uh-huh. So I think how unsettling you find that will have more to do with how well you kind of process what all that means because the art isn't going to give it to you. I think, too, in terms of the historical background to it and understanding the political 
implications and all that's going on, I think you also need an older audience for that, too. Yeah, I Like, if I, I handed this that. to, like, a fifth grader, they'd be like, what is going on? Not e- regardless of, like, the violence in it, you know? It would be, a lot of it would be over their heads. You so. you do kind of need to be at that age where you've accepted, hey, the community in which I grew up is not what the world is like. Yeah. You, you need you need to yeah. have swallowed that pill and moved on a little bit before you're going to be able to, I mean, at, as a as a Western audience reader, before you're going to be able to process mm-hmm. this yeah. particularly well. So, yeah, I, I expect because it's about a younger, like, I guess the bulk of it, she's like 10 to 12. For the for most of it, I think by the time she leaves the country, she's like fourteen. She's fourteen by the end of the book. Mm-hmm. So I think because of that, and because of the simplistic art style, some people might be inclined to hand it to younger readers. But I'm I'm with you. I I would not recommend doing that. Uh-uh. Um, like this will go on the shelf. But if my kid ever tells me I'm bored and I go hunting through books for oh maybe you like this, this is gonna stay on the shelf. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was like, mm, this should not go upstairs to the 5th and 6th. Yeah. Like, I'm okay with it being in the 7th and 8th, but there, oh my gosh, my 5th grade boys would so not be ready for this. So, the one other thing I want to talk about relative to the movie, which I think I had known this at one point, like, years ago when I watched The Making Of on my on my DVD, Mm-hmm. I might have known this, but I'd forgotten. The movie actually extends pretty far past the point at which the book ends. Well, you know there's another book, right? Yeah, so the movie covers both volumes. Okay, gotcha. So whereas this, mm-hmm. um, what we read, is only up through her leaving Iran, the film covers her schooling in Austria. Oh, okay, yep. Um... And and goes well past this. And, like, the note that this book ends on especially is not <laughs> um, particularly uplifting no. uh, at all. And it it threw me off because the... The movie has a more uplifting... I, I mean, I don't remember the specifics of the ending, but definitely the entire vibe of things change once she's out of Iran. Ah, uh, that so, makes sense. It becomes, it frees it up for her to have a bit more of a, I don't want to say traditional because it's not, but a bit more of a coming of age story you'd expect Uh, of a young woman because she's in a setting we recognize more mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to when she was younger and and in Iran. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, we should watch the movie. I'd be curious to see what you think of it. Um... And I, I would love to see it again. I, I, I loved it the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. But that is Persepolis. I think our, I mean, we had some notes, but I think overall we're like, it's good, but it's a, it's a lot. It is a lot. Oh, the other thing I wanted to say is that sometimes in terms of her family, more so than her, like with her mother and her aunt and stuff, the classism comes through. A little bit. Yeah. Um, Not as much with her, but you can kind of see it, you know, that they were a more wealthy family. They have a maid, things like that. So um, that was another note I had. Um, well, it, it was nice that 
um, you know, she herself had sort of moments of acknowledging like, oh, oh, mm-hmm. and sort of coming to an understanding of what it was she had mm-hmm. that other people didn't. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was nice that it, it didn't dwell on it, but it was kind of nice that it was there rather than being oblivious, which I think would have been easy to do. Mm-hmm. And again, it didn't dwell on it, but especially given the the politics of her family, it it does give you pause, like, I'm sorry, you you have a maid? Mm-hmm. And your politics are what, again? Yeah, it does seem strange, coming from an American perspective, I think. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, it's such a radically different world. Than... No, no, no. I and, and I'm not saying that as a criticism of the family, but I'm saying, like, her coming to recognize that feels like a good middle ground acknowledgement of... Again, kind of the contradictions that existed in the world she grew up in. Very much so. So that is Persepolis. Mm -hmm. We will uh, do a commercial break, and then we will be back with listener feedback from the previous episode. Greetings, podcast listener. My name is Charlie Neymar, and I host a show called Charlie's Geekcast, all about me and what I like. But mostly about what I like. 2020 marks a pretty special year for me. For one thing, I'll be turning 40 this year. But this year also marks 10 years since I started podcasting by talking about Superman's adventures in the Bronze Age. Coincidentally, this year also marks 50 years since Superman entered the Bronze Age. To celebrate all of this, this year I'll be doing a series of episodes called Geeking on Superman in the Bronze Age, where I'll be looking at some great Bronze Age Superman adventures that I didn't get around to the first time around. It's a lot of around. So check out Charlie's Geekcast, part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network at twotruefreaks.com. Also, you can find the show at charliesgeekcast.com or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, everybody, we're back. So last episode, we did volume one of I Hate Fairyland, which neither of us particularly cared for. Nope. (laughs) (sighs) That was a shame. So we had a couple of comments. uh, First from Lizanne Oswalt, who writes, Impressive podcast. Most impressive. Sorry, I can't read that without doing Darth Vader voice. Anyways. uh, It's like if I was turned into a fairy kid. Uh, wonder if I keep my YouTube page if it was in the Fairyland. I'd probably run around killing the magical creatures while blaring Aquia's cartoon heroes <laughs> while making YouTube videos. I mean, it could be fun. A few troll deaths, beating witches to death with their own candy canes, support beams from their gingerbread house, training werewolves to fetch. So many fun things to do. Mm-hmm. So with the 35-year-old woman trapped in Fairyland, what happens if she completes the quest? Her parents are older now, probably gave her a funeral, etc. Where will she live? At home, does she get a job? Killing bugbears does help you get a restaurant as a job as a hostess. Her only skills are killing things and flying a magical hot air balloon. She'd have to become an assassin or work for the RS. Not sure what that is. Um, or she could be a dentist. After all, <laughs> she has a knack for causing pain. Will she still be in a five-year-old body? Will time have passed when she returns home? Not sure how annoyed the fairy godmother is at her, or the fairy queen. 
She may put her back at the night she left or age her up, depending on how annoyed she is. Also, Gertrude? Her parents named her that? <laughs> how long was she put in fairy how long ago was she put in Fairyland? Who would do that to a child? Was Maud too much for them? So wrong. Not only does she not age and uh, and is in a fairyland into her thirties, but her name is Gertrude. That's warped. Though the fa- the Vanity Gateway was kind of cool. For whatever reason, uh, I I hear John Hillerman's voice for Larry. S- uh, still seems like a cool comic. So that was Lizanne Oswald, who has a YouTube page. You can look up Elizabeth Ann Oswald O S. W-A-L-T, if you are interested in finding out her stuff. And also check out the uh, the comments on the Fire & Water Podcast Network. She made some recommendations for some other YouTubers that she uh, recommends. So moving on to the next one. Uh, Brian Linton says, Thank you for covering this book. I'm not a big fan of gratuitous violence, especially when it's practiced against cute little creatures. So I'll probably give it a pass. That said, it doesn't hurt to know it's out there. I also want to recommend a book that my entire family recently discovered and fell in love with to any interested punchers out there. It's The Tea Dragon Society by Katie O'Neill, a sweet fantasy story that focuses on self-discovery and relationships rather than slaying monsters and looting dungeons. Oh, but I like looting. I haven't heard of that. I like looting the dungeons. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I think we would have liked better? I think it's called Wonderland, and it's by, basically about um, the maid, um, I think it's Marianne, of the White Rabbit. Oh, and oh, yeah. I think I've recommended it before, and it's like the aftermath and the destruction that Alice is left behind, <laughs> and she's trying to clean up and figure things out, and it's pure Wonderland chaos, but not... Like, to this degree, it's still kind of PG, but still, like, a fun world to play in. Oh, cool. Yeah. And finally, from Tim Price. I haven't tried this series, but I did get a free comic book day issue. Got the gist, and can't remember a single thing about it, except for, there's a murder child. (laughs) It was fine, and not really feeling the need to revisit it, but maybe a comiXology sale will, will lure me to this volume. The idea that this was therapy for Scotty Young is hilarious. Forgive me if you already knew this, but I remember Scotty's breakthrough work was on Marvel's 2009 Wizard of Oz miniseries, which led to more miniseries and gave him the rep of cute art guy. (laughs) So another spin on Fairyland. Dorothy stuck in Oz and goes postal. Yep, I can see it. Thanks for uh, the light little romp, my punchers, and I'm waiting for the day when new listeners finally ask, why does Tim call them punchers? Something's wrong with that guy. (laughs) Uh, You know what I'm realizing? It couldn't, that, the one we read last month could not get much more different than the one we read this month. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that will be it for this one. Uh, Next month, we are going... (laughs) I'm basically giving myself a vacation and we're doing something I already read. Uh-huh. Uh, we're taking a look at Frey, which is the, uh, it's set in the Buffyverse in the, in the far future. Mm-hmm. And uh, that'll be interesting to talk about. Yeah, I'm excited to visit that. I've heard a lot about it, so. 
Well, that'll wrap it up for this one, folks. Thanks so much for stopping by, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Tough Like a Girl is a Council of Geeks production and is presented on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Comments can be left on fireandwaterpodcast.com, and you can support the network by finding us on Patreon. This particular show was supported by Carolyn and Brian Linton. Our logo art was created by Nick Buxom, and our theme music is by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Bye. <laughs>